Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. spins in a circle and then immediately throws up over the side of the ring like to the floor and then just continues with the match what three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island this is what i'm asking wrestling's best in the ring around the ring behind the scenes or behind a microphone i'm tom campbell thank you for joining me on cultaholic island for another episode of desert island graps this is TJ Perkins, and he's one of the toughest and the hardest working guys we got in the back. TJ Perkins, the first ever Cruiserweight Classic Tournament winner and Cruiserweight Champion. From Los Angeles, California, TJ There's a lot of good wrestlers in the world. There's a lot of good performers, but I like to think I'm the one that makes it look good. I like to make it look easy. You know, everybody thinks they gotta make it look hard. I make it look easy. TJ, how you doing? I'm doing quite all right, Tom. How are you? I am good. Thank you, sir. Um, best and worst part about having pet pigs? Ironically, probably the same thing, actually. Uh, they're, they're both spoiled brats, so... <laughs> um, <laughs> they they uh, demand a lot more attention than you you would think that they do they're, they're a lot like like actual children they're, they have a high uh intelligence and emotional capacity so like children you know they're 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 a little bit smarter than a lot of other uh, pets you would have in that they behave like humans like especially once they're around you like once you have them and they're kind of like domesticated for a couple of years they, they behave like like real kids so it's wonderful but it's also quite a chore because you find yourself not really being able to get away for more than a couple hours uh, sometimes without, you know, them kind of needing you around or, or a babysitter or something. So it's it's like I had uh, two kids at home. What do they do to try and get your attention? I mean, it, it's a lot. It, it is a lot like having kids. I, I leave cartoons on for them, for example, all day long and, and put toys out for them to play with. Uh, so like they like Looney Tunes and and Tom and Jerry is what I've been kind of raising them on. Nice. Um, <laughs> Keep it old school. I'm big fan. Yeah, yeah. So you know they just kind of whine and you know demands their next meal or that you come down and play toys with them or something. Um, which is the older out of the two, uh, Pugsley and Cupcake? Uh, Cupcake is Cupcake's the the girl. Yeah, 
so when Pugsy came in, how was how was Cupcake with that? Uh, so it's like a uh, typical like older sister sort of thing when the new baby comes in a little bit. Uh, she's still hard on him. She really kind of beats him up a lot <laughs> constantly. Uh, she always has to have first and last bite when they're eating meals and stuff like that. Um, chases him around. He's also the runt of his litter though, so. You know he's always going to be about half her size, so that's a li- he's he's going to have a tough time all the time. Oh, bless him. How did you um? How did you come to own pet pigs? Um, I just uh, like I've never really been a pet person, and um, I I think I tried having a dog when I was a little kid. My my mom had gotten one, and I just we my sister and I were we were just not good with uh with having pets, and I had a stray cat at one time. Uh, my sister had a regular cat, and that's kind of how I discovered that, um, you know, just like some some people, they, they kind of go one way or the other with like like allergies and like pet care and stuff like that. And I, I just was never really a big pet person, uh, but uh, being on the road and like having like family around and, and especially like with a significant other and, you know, they want to have like when I'm gone, especially in the WWE years, recent years, like. It was just uh, a way of kind of progressing the household and having uh, st- like a starter family, I guess you could say, a little bit. And uh, and it just it progressed into that because they uh, the pigs are hypoallergenic and um, and uh, like I had said earlier, they have uh, this high emotional capacity and intelligence. So it's it's a different sort of companionship you get out of having pigs as opposed to something else like a turtle or like you know cats and dogs. Do they? So I didn't know they were hypoallergenic. So I imagine. Do you do you suffer allergies with pets, or does your significant other do so? Or, um, I mean, I think everybody does to an extent. I definitely do. I mean, if I would stay at a, you know, somebody's house or something when I was traveling, if they had like a cat, I would usually be pretty stuffy. Um, so um. Yeah, that's always been sort of a thing for me as far as when I would kind of think about having like a dog or a cat or something like that. I think it's gotten a little bit better with me, like as I've gotten older. Um, I, I don't find it that it bothers me as much anymore if I visit, uh, you know, somebody's home and they have a pet. But, uh, but you know, for most of my life, that's kind of what I thought about. But yeah, pigs, uh, they do shed a lot. Do they? Like season? Yeah, they do shed a lot seasonally. But, um, but I've I've never had any allergies. I've never really had anybody staying with me that's ever had that so it's it's worked out okay as far as that goes i imagine if you have anybody that comes to set your house and kicks off that there's pigs there i just wouldn't have them as your friend because i think that's wonderful (laughs) yeah they've they've definitely been you know one of the best things ever happened in my life we're sending you on a desert island tj perkins and i know right and in this climate it's, (laughs) it's 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 alarmingly accurate we're all on desert islands right now, but we're going to burn for you a, uh, a DVD. And on that DVD will be three wrestling matches that you are happy to watch over and over again whilst you're kicking back on the desert island. And we're going to uh, ask you throughout the podcast today what those matches would be. So what would you like your first match to be uh, for your DVD, TJP? This sort of question gets asked a lot for me, you know, because it comes in like the standard, like, you know, there's always top threes of things. There's always Mount Rushmore's of things, and uh, and matches for me gets asked a lot. But this and, is like, the I'm thing: like, we're not big... necessarily asking for like the greatest matches of all time. They're just matches yes. that you're happy just to watch 
uh, multiple times over and over. They might not be like artistic successes, but they're probably matches that probably sing a little song in your own heart. Right, right, right. And so, like for me, like being a, a wrestling historian, uh, so to speak, and um, and I don't know if like a lot of people realize like how old I actually am. I'm such an old man. <laughs> how old are you, sir? <laughs> I just. I, I am uh, 35. Way. You know, I just I look like I come in a 20 year old's uh, packaging, but I'm not. You lucky at all. devil, yeah. though. You lucky devil. <laughs> uh, let's see. The original Iron Man match, I think, is is one of my favorites. Red Hart barely standing at that. Event. He got it. Champ shooter. Champ shooter. He got it. He got it. He got it. there live too so it's a little bit of a bias uh, pick for me you were there for that so you would have been what 11 12 years old yeah i think uh, i was turning 12 that year and i think about a year a year or two later is when i started my career so there's a lot that kind of like for me is i don't want to say cosmically linked to that match but it just it was a special time in my life and uh sean and brett too for that matter have always been like sort of like my guys a lot and sean eventually became like a mentor to me once i got to wwe and and uh you know it was in my backyard and i watched it live yeah i was sitting 14th row i think so are you hard cam or non-hard cam um let's see when I watch I, it back i can see you or not <laughs> i am trying to remember how the the on cam was oriented that day so I am on the side of the hard cam, right. so you wouldn't see me. But I, if if you look really closely, I think my friend said that he could see me when the Ultimate Warrior came out earlier in the night because I ran over to the guardrail for most of the entrances until the people in that section started getting angry at everybody for running over there. <laughs> <laughs> Would you have had Shawn Michaels go over your head on the zip wire? No, no, I was. You were the other I was side. that. Yeah, I was. I was that part of the the bowl but on the other side right with you with you what can you remember about that whole day from the moment you woke up to the moment you got to the venue um i remember i went with my best friend from elementary school his name was kevin timms and he was like the only other wrestling fan that i knew in school and uh we watched wrestling i mean he probably is is responsible for me being a wrestler today just in that without him like he kind of strengthened my love for pro wrestling in that 
like he was my only outlet socially for it. So without him, I may have grown out of it as I gotten older because it was something that me and my dad connected with when I was like just a baby. So as I got older, it was just me and my buddy Kevin and he, we went uh, together to it. And I just remember spending all day in Anaheim because like my dad dropped us off. My dad's really old fashioned. So he doesn't really coddle kids or anything like that. So when I was like, Hey, me, me and my buddy Kevin, when I go to WrestleMania, he just dropped us off on the street with like our tickets. And <laughs> we just walked around Anaheim wow. as like, I don't know. 11, 12-year-olds uh, most of the day until the event started. I think they even had like an access or some sort of thing that day because it was sort of newer in those years. I want to say the year before was the first time they ever had. They didn't call it access, but they had something like it. And um, so I just remember being like an all-day thing and just kind of being absorbed by the whole you know, process of, of the event. You were wrestling at 13 years old, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, 1998 is when I first broke in. How did you how did you end up wrestling so young? Well, I um, I didn't intend to, to be honest. I, I thought that I would wrestle later on in life like like because um, you got to remember at that time, like the Internet wasn't really a thing. So you couldn't really kind of get a grab like there was no way to roadmap how to become a wrestler and, and so you just kind of pieced it together from what you hear and like interviews and documentaries and things and like even that like i mean other than the vhs releases and every now and then they would show like a little 60 second like snippet of an interview talking about some guy's life on like a pay-per-view and then you never saw it again after that because there was no like video on demand or like dvd releases with like easter eggs and special stuff so you just kind of pieced it together and so i always thought like every wrestler does they graduate they do amateur wrestling in school you know and then after somehow i thought okay if i go to school then i amateur wrestle fill in blank here will lead me to wrestling. And that's what I thought I had to do. And being an athlete growing up, um, I, you know, I was always like an all sport athlete, basketball, football, baseball, that sort of thing. And uh, my dad's dream was always for me to be a pro athlete. So I gave him like the worst version of it, but, (laughs) uh, I, uh, tried to amateur wrestle in school and we didn't have a team. And so when I first got to high school and I asked about it and they said, well, we don't have a team. I thought, well, this was like supposed to be my gateway. So I got to figure out how to wrestle anyway. And just by virtue of being in LA, there's a lot of like Lucha Libre culture in Los Angeles. And I was able to find a gym that would take me on. Cause at first I was like writing letters to like wrestling, uh, training gyms and stuff that would be like advertised in like PWI magazine and stuff like that. Um, so like that was originally my attempt, but you had to be like 18 or 21 years old to, to go to these places. And, uh, and you know, I would have to relocate and I was only a kid. So there's like no way I could do it. You said you were, uh, your dad was keen on you being uh, an athlete. I think if the wrestling thing hadn't worked out, what other sport would you like to have, uh, become professional within? God, I don't know that I probably would have had a realistic chance of being scouted for anything. I think if anything, um, I probably could have put on enough size, at least on my small frame to try to go to college for maybe football because of the roster size. Maybe baseball would have been my best bet though, I think. 
Um, I'd probably put most years into baseball. My dad, um, my dad was always a big baseball and football uh, guy growing up. He's a, he's he's got better genes than me. He's he's a Midwestern farm boy, so he's six feet tall, and you know he he played football in school and stuff like that. So I got a lot of my mom's genes. So I'm a little bit shorter than him. Um, and uh, basketball obviously was not like I was probably best at basketball of the, all the different sports, but I just you look at me on paper and there's no way anybody's gonna like you know recruit me to their school. So I don't know, maybe baseball if if I had to have a realistic shot at anything. Um, with your dad, um, you you said you gave him the worst version of of of, of an athlete. Um, <laughs> yeah. What does he make? What did, what what do both your parents make of? of you doing the wrestling thing especially now the level um, that you're at now as well um you know they never really cared or or, or um kept track of it when i was growing up uh, they both worked uh for the airlines so they were always gone and kind of detached from my my baby sister and i i only have one sibling it's just i have a sister and uh um and so my dad had always kind of maybe hoped i could do something with sports growing up my mom being a typical like filipino asian mom she wanted one of two things she either wanted a doctor or she wanted like an actor or like you know like an entertainer like like a famous kid so um it's funny because i kind of gave them both a mix of like probably the worst version of what they could ask for i didn't give my mom a, a, a an actor but i gave her a wrestler <laughs> and i didn't give my dad a, a you know i didn't i didn't get to major league baseball or the nfl or anything but I gave them a pro wrestler and they like it now. I mean, they didn't really follow me or my career at, at, to be honest at all, except until like the last couple of years, they never saw me wrestle once. They just, they, they didn't really care. They did. They weren't against it. They just didn't care that much. Um, it's one of yeah. those things, isn't it? Where it's, you can, you can be plying your trade forever. And, and I imagine that you suddenly had a lot of people, maybe old friends, uh, maybe family members, who the moment you appeared in WWE, they were like, oh, oh, you're in the WWE. Oh, you're a wrestler. So that all of a sudden now it's <laughs> now it's a big thing. Yeah, I mean, um, I think because my my mom doesn't really understand anything about wrestling. She knows it exists and she she's she's really happy whenever she thinks that she thinks that like I'm famous or like that a lot of people are watching me so she gets she's she's just happy about me being a public figure i guess uh, my dad knows what wwe is so, and he doesn't necessarily follow wrestling super close but he's very aware and and so he was happy once he sort of realized that like he's like wow i didn't realize that you were like at this sort of level for all these years so and i'd tell him like yeah i was going to japan and you know explaining what like you know, TNA Impact was and all the pay-per-views and things I was doing when I was like 19 years old and like what Ring of Honor became like, like out of the remnants of ECW and the whole independent wrestling boom and stuff. And so then he kind of understood like, wow, like I didn't realize that this is, this is like where you're at. So, um, you know, he's, he's, he's happy about it. My mom is happy because my sister became a doctor. So she's actually the better one of the two. <laughs> so she got one of each of what she ordered, I guess, with her kids. 
your second match for your DVD? Uh, second one would I would go with uh, Eddie and, and Dean, the two out of three falls match from ECW. Guerrero goes for snap suplex. It is blocked. Guerrero is blocked as well. Malenko goes behind. Nicely done. Tries to Guerrero. Guerrero holds on. Malenko rolls through. Nice kip up. Drops down. Guerrero over the top. Hip toss. Blocked. Blocked a second time. Clothesline missed by Guerrero. Roll up by Malenko. One, two, and no. Malenko off the ropes. Cartwheel and keep up at the same time. Now, we just mentioned briefly ECW there, and obviously you're a, a bit of a wrestling historian as well. Uh, but of, uh, of all the matches from the from the history of ECW, why have you gone with this one? Um, for me, so it's uh, like, God, so many people are going to hate me for this. So many people hate me for a lot of stuff anyway, but <laughs> they, uh, I, I was not a huge ECW fan. Um, I, the, like, I, I loved what it was and I'm glad that, that it was what it was as an alternative. And it, it, I mean, to be honest without ECW, I probably never would have been a wrestler because it transforms much of the wrestling business in a way that would allow guys like me to have an opportunity. Um, but I just like, I didn't dig a lot of the art style of it. Like it was too gritty for me and, 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 um, almost too alternative for me like I was very much like a, like a white collar wrestling guy like I loved WWF wrestling especially like in 1993 94 95 I love those years I love them I loved pre-attitude era stuff like that so I was never a big ECW guy but Eddie and Dean um Jericho Benoit these guys like they really struck my attention um Tajiri uh super crazy because like they uh they had this unique way of doing traditional wrestling and uh, kind of carried the new generation. And that's really kind of what made it seem to me like, man, I could really, I could do this. This is how guys like a Shawn Michaels survive because, you know, this is like a way for a smaller guy who's six feet or less, 200 pounds or less, he, how they could do it. So, um, so I loved it. And Eddie was always my guy. Like back in the day, I think a lot of people see Eddie through rose colored glasses today. I don't know if that makes any sense, but like people think that everybody loved Eddie the whole time. And I remember people not caring about Eddie at all. And they didn't even think he was that good compared to Dean and, and Benoit and Jericho. Like they always, I always remember Eddie being the guy that people really kind of slept on, but I loved Eddie and I felt like I could relate to him because he was so quiet and reserved. Didn't really come out of his shell. Seemed like he had no charisma. Uh, seemed like he wasn't quite as good at wrestling as his peers. Like he was really good at it, but people didn't realize how great he was until you look back on all this stuff. And it's like, wow, he was the glue that held so many things together. And then when he came out of his shell, people were really blown away. So I loved those years of Eddie because I just related to him for so long. And, uh, and so that time is just like, that's probably the part of ECW that I really loved is, is his stuff with, with Dean and the guys. Um, I, I wouldn't have normally asked this because um, of, of the, the sort of timeline and things, but I'm aware that you started young and I'm aware that Eddie had a, a, a brief time uh, in on the Indies sort of after leaving WWF briefly. Did you guys ever interact in any way, shape or form? So the, uh, the thing about, Eddie and, and really the whole Guerrero family is like the Guerreros have always been sort of like mentors for me 
um, at various times. So a lot of them passed through California or lived in California. So all the brothers at some point have sort of taken me under their wing or just been available for me to train with, to travel with. And, and I've, I've learned so much from their entire family. The only one that I've never met was Eddie. And we, and it was so close to like our circles ran so close. Like I remember he, when he left WWE and he was on that hiatus for like a few months or like that, that kind of year away or whatever. Um, during that time, he went back to New Japan and Ring of Honor got started. I started Ring of Honor and started New Japan right after he left, like literally like the tour after he went back and then went back to WWE. I went to New Japan like later that fall. And I remember thinking, because I didn't know like, you know, he was going to go back so quickly. And I remember thinking, oh man, I'm, I'm probably going to start traveling with Eddie. This is awesome. And I just never came up. And then, um, you know, I had done some like dark matches and come in for like, um, you know, developmental work or just been around the developmental system when they had um, UPW in LA for, for WWF at the time. Uh, but Eddie wasn't in the company yet, I think, at the time that I or, – or rather, I just – he was, but I just never crossed paths with him because I was in, like, just training, you know. So um, – and then by the time I got there later, he, you know, had already passed. So it's just we had always <laughs> – I'd always come so close to being able to finally meet Eddie and just kind of pick his brain. But he's the only Guerrero that I, I've never – I never got the chance to meet. You know, Chavo and Chavo Sr. both were pretty instrumental for me because I would be around them a lot, specifically traveling to Mexico and being like on shows in L.A. and California. Uh, and then uh, Mondo was also present like at the original gym that I first started in in San Bernardino. He would be around every now and then. And then um, later on in TNA, Hector was doing a lot of the Spanish commentary. So I would sit with him every day and just kind of, you know, get whatever wisdom I could off of him. 
you wanted to accomplish goals on a bigger platform. I quite enjoy freedom. Uh, it's a little bit scarier now with the state of the world. Um, so, so some days the practical part of me uh, thinks that maybe maybe uh, being stagnant would have been a little bit more offer more peace of mind during a time like this uh, because there's no freedom to be had by anybody, I guess. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I really just kind of wanted to get back to when I think the biggest impact I could have made in WWE and, and what, what was I think special for me was being able to connect to like my family roots and to kind of represent my culture, like as a, as an Asian American and as a Filipino. And it's something that, I never had the opportunity in other companies to do. People didn't understand me. They didn't understand like what like a Filipino even was, you know. And a lot of this was because Pacquiao hadn't come on until like you know 2008, 2010. So like it wasn't really like represented in a way that people understood it as a banner to be carried. So um, I enjoyed doing that coming up initially in WWE, but when I got to Raw, I kind of got separated from that, creatively speaking. And so after a year or two, I remember, and I always had a good relationship with Vince. Like I could always knock on his door. I would always ask for advice. I could talk to him very openly. And he's very approachable like that. If you just aren't scared of his door, I guess you could say. Um, and I'm not one to ever be scared of anybody's door. So I always had a great relationship with him. Um, and, uh, you know, I expressed to him I didn't want to waste his time. And, uh, I, I felt like that's what I wanted to connect to. And, um, you know, we tried for a year to kind of figure out what, where would be good placement for me in order to do that. And I just, you know, the company's really big and it's not all about me. So when that couldn't be had, he didn't want to be me to be unhappy. Like, <laughs> I guess, you know, kind of sitting on the bench at periods of time, as many guys in that company do. Um, and uh, I, I really wanted to go back to Japan, too, and Mexico, and, and to also have the freedom to be able to represent my culture and do, like, a tour of the Philippines and do stuff like that, do media over there and not be kind of, you know, not I don't want to say held down, but connected to so many things that wouldn't allow me the freedom to do those things, like, as far as chain of command and that sort of thing goes. So, yeah, I mean, it has been kind of the time of my life in, in in this year away but you know I do, I do miss my WWE family a bit especially the guys on the road and all that and I mean it's maybe someplace I would like to go back someday but for right now um there's a lot of stuff that I want to do that you know I wouldn't be able to do if I was still there who did you connect with uh in WWE that you were surprised you connected with good question I not really anybody that I'm surprised like I've uh I've always been really good at at kind of getting along with everybody especially like um, at work and, and I've always been sort of like a little kid at work, I guess, if that makes any sense, yeah. like whether it's TNA or ring of honor or anything like that, like I, you could often find me kind of quietly making my rounds every day and like, not even just the locker room, but like, I tend to have some of my best friends as part of the crew or like not even guys that are performers on the show, just cause I, I just, I really like like having a family atmosphere around me when I go to work. Cause I didn't really have a big family growing up. So wrestling was sort of my escape. I'm almost like one of those like Chinese circus, like runaways. Like it's just something I've done ever since I was a little kid is, is wrestling. So that really became what my family is. So I think not surprising, but like my best friends in WWE were like a lot of the production crew and the catering crew and guys that were on the trucks and stuff like that, because like a curious kid, I'd be walking around all day, like watching them lay the cables and just asking them like, 
how their process goes. So a lot of the production dudes were like my best friends. One of the things we've seen you doing a lot is is within Impact Wrestling, and that must although the the the, the lineup has changed a fair bit since you were last there. It still must feel like a homecoming. Yeah, I mean, I I love being in that atmosphere because that I felt like they've always had the be- like the best camaraderie as far as like a locker room goes. And it's always been it's it's funny because with their ups and downs in business, uh, a lot of people don't realize how high the morale really is there when you're there. Like I've never been there where people are like unhappy with being there like around the other people um sometimes they're unhappy with like maybe their own stuff but like it's always such a great positive room to be in and now is really no different and i think the difference now is that i really feel like this is probably from a diversity standpoint the most talented roster they've ever had and one of the most talented rosters i've ever been in uh just because it's unique in that Every like everybody's in the same room. There's no hierarchy, and even for Impact, that's kind of a new thing. Because you know, you would have your Stings and Kurt Angles and, and different people that the camaraderie is good, but they're not in the same room as you. But when I go there now, I mean, everybody is in the same room, and everybody's together. And then it translates to the show because there's nights where you know an X Division member will open the show, but the next night they'll close the show. And then one night the tag team division will open the show but the next night they'll close the show the uh, knockouts division same thing and everybody's so interchangeable and it just feels like it's one of the most unique team efforts i've ever seen and it's and you get that vibe when you watch it that everybody is is all pulling together and and there's been uh, a, a weird time of of it with tna at least visually as a, as a fan but to hear that the morale is so great is wonderful uh, your story is really unique with tna because People saw your face for the first time when you were stood next to Hulk Hogan. Not many people can say <laughs> that. <laughs> no, no. How did the um? How, yeah. how did you get involved with the what was then known as the the suicide character? Um, let's see. I I think we're go to like 2012. Well, actually, uh, when it first came out, I remember being in the locker room at a pay per view in Houston, Texas. We were. I think it was. Uh, Destination X pay-per-view, I want to say. And it was, the, it was one of the, they had one of the World X Cups going on at the time. And I, I just remember being in the locker room and, and <laughs> Kazarian had been pulled aside and he was sort of upset because they had made this idea for a comic book style video game character named Suicide. And Kazarian at the time was really coming into his own. And I have known him since the, like literally the nineties. We, he came up in the same area as me and he, he is finally coming into like being comfortable with exactly who he wanted to be as a wrestler. (laughs) And he was going to get totally sidetracked with this thing that, that was cool, but he just, he didn't want to be the guy to do it. And I remember, and this was like 2008 and I remember the guy saying, why don't we just see if they'll do it with TJ because he's already a masked character. And we joked and laughed and said, ha, 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 that would be funny. And then we never thought about it again. And I I left TNA and was doing other stuff after that for a while. And then it was just so weird because Suicide came on and it became this hugely popular character for, for um, you know, Impact. And I think wrestling in general, like Suicide was one of the few things that like really resonated for that generation of wrestling. Um, 
and it's a very like unique look and something that's recognizable for wrestling fans. And then years later, I came back and they were like, okay, well, we're just going to have you sitting at home for a little bit because we don't know exactly what to do with you as Puma. Um, this is my character at the time. And I just remember seeing these bumpers as suicide, like suicide's coming back, suicide's coming back next week, suicide's coming back next week. And then I called and I said, I don't know if you guys have an idea for what you want to do, but I could do that. And they said, that's a great idea. And that was it. And they, <laughs> they rushed me to TV the next week and I became suicide. And I think at this point now, like I've become the, I guess the one most synonymous with it. Um, especially with tying my actual identity to it now at this point. It's sort of retconned it for me, I guess. Um, you've you've had quite a few masks over your period, and, and it's only when we started this conversation, um, I'm looking to, to give some context, I'm looking through a profile picture on Skype, uh, yeah. and it's a, it's a cartoon illustration of with yourself in the middle, and yeah, and there's there's the manic mask, suicide mask, the puma mask, loads of other masks around there. I know it's a bit like picking mm-hmm. your children. Favorite mask? <laughs> uh, honestly, I probably would go with suicide just because at, at this point now it's pretty sentimental. Um, I, I've always been a big comic book guy and, and video game guy, obviously. And uh, so Spider-Man, Deadpool is my favorite superhero ever. Um, so these guys are really like things that sort of shaped me as a performer even before I was suicide. So when I would think about doing promos, for example, like I, I, in my head, I was speaking through like Deadpool's voice. Like that's why I'm always very sarcastic and not totally serious. Um, that's just my nature in, in real life too. Uh, so I, I'd probably say suicide. Um, Puma's up there too, because that was sort of like, that was a little bit sentimental. New Japan gave me that as sort of like, like an alternative tiger mask type of thing for like, you know, an American wrestler coming in as a gaijin. And, and so, you know, Eddie had black tiger. So at the time for many years, Puma was like cool for me to have. Uh, but I'd probably say suicide. You mentioned you're, um, you're a video game guy there as well. Um, we're all in self-isolation at the moment, just kicking back, waiting for the world to start again. Uh, you been playing anything good? Uh, well, I've dived back into Resident Evil 2. Ooh. One, because it seems... It seems topical, uh, but yeah, but also because, you know, Resident Evil 3 is coming out or just came out and um, and they sort of happened simultaneously. So since the games also were remastered recently or re uh, recreated anyway, um, it just like something I kind of dove into. You, typically, uh, you could probably find me on like Overwatch every single night with with a lot of my friends. A lot of a lot of my wrestling friends are either on Overwatch or Fortnite as far as like you know group gaming goes. Um, so usually I'll, I'll be playing a lot of that. But Resident Evil Two and Three have for <laughs> for me kind of struck more of a reality nerve at the moment. So name me a wrestler who has completely owned you on either overwatch or Fortnite. my best friend in like the entire world is probably willie mack he every single night we're, we're always on either overwatch or Fortnite, both and he is incredible at both and obviously like on overwatch and on Fortnite, we're always on the same team so i don't know it's hard to quantify that he owns me but I, uh, overwatch has is particular it's almost like a like a sports game because you know it's like a six versus six and they pick they pick like a play of the game after every single match and replay it. And they have a scoreboard to show like, you know, the, the MVPs of the match and every single 
match. And I'm not joking at all. Like <laughs> 95% of the matches we play, Willie is the guy out of 12 players. So he always has played the game. Always. It's always Willie Mack. We don't even we don't even watch them anymore because we know when the screen pops up it's going to be Willie's character, <laughs> and um, it's insane. He is so good. Um, uh, I don't. He's not as good at Fortnite as he is Overwatch, but he's definitely better than me at both. So he he crushes me every time. <laughs> so we'll keep an eye out for him just in case. Yes. So allowing you to take. And I'd like sort of the answer off the top of your head, TJ. Uh, a movie, an album, and a luxury item. So um, if you were to take a movie onto the desert island with you, what movie would you take? Uh, Back to the Future. No. Nice. Back to the Future, yeah. Good shout. Which one, though? Um, so I always have leaned on one being my favorite movie of all time. Uh, and I, 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 I'll still use that as, like, my favorite movie, but it's more because of the concept. But if I was like, if it was in that context, like a desert, island, I'd probably pick two. Cause you kind of get one and two at the same time. So you cheat a little bit if you take part two. Um, so I'd probably go with back to the future too. Good shout. How about an album? Ooh, maybe Michael Jackson thriller. Um, I want to say I'd probably go with that. Uh, just cause, um, that that's like one of the greatest albums ever. Is there a particular song on there that is obviously obviously everyone knows Thriller and the like, but is there a song on there that is a bit low key underrated? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's weird. Every time I listen to that era, I I tend to find I don't know if all of them are on Thriller necessarily, but even like from Off the Wall or some of the other like like those early Mike albums, like. I often find singles that, that I had ne like every single time I listen through just a random playlist of that era, I find something that I didn't realize that he had, but it's usually more of the singy stuff, like the, the, like slow song, um, stuff that he'll have just cause people don't realize how good of a singer he is. Cause they just, you know, they think about all the, like the, like the pomp and showy stuff and the dancing and everything. So that, you know, you obviously kind of go to like Billie Jean and stuff like, like Billie Jean is my favorite song ever of all time. Um, so people usually go to that, but some of those like, you know, um, I wish you were mine sort of songs were like, like, um, you know, you, you, there's new ones I find every time that are awesome from it. And how about a luxury item? Um, so this could be something not, it could just be something that a creature comfort, if you will. God, you know, it's not a luxury item, but it's, uh, it's probably the item that I find like so much comfort in is I have this thing called an Indo board. And if, uh, for people listening, if you follow me on Instagram, you see me on it, especially lately because we're stuck at home. Um, it's this balance board. It has like a, like a, like a roller that kind of looks like a foam roller that you would like roll your back on at the gym or something. And it has a little tiny board that's about the length of a skateboard, but a little bit wider, like an oval shape. And it just rests on the top and you just rock back and forth on it. It's kind of like surfing indoors or like on a hard surface. You could just bring it anywhere because it kind of fits in like a duffel bag or like a roller case if you had it. So how did you discover the indoor board? Um, it was an item we had laying around in the New Japan Dojo. And I guess they had got it as a training item. Um and I think the originators were in Huntington Beach. So, like, 
we had that LA extension uh, gym for New Japan, and maybe it's just because it was in California, and so, like somebody must have had it, maybe because they they had got the Kickstarter version of it. Um, but uh, yeah, it just it was it was around in the gym. I remember me and Nakamura, Shinsuke Nakamura, we 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 really kind of fell into trying it a lot. He, he's obviously into surfing for, you know, fans of his, you can tell. Um, and, um, yeah, we just, we loved it. And I got one for myself and I've had one ever since it's always in the trunk of my car or just always in my bag or in my room, wherever I, I am, I have one. And, uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I definitely would want my video games if I could, but if I had like one item that like could be like offer me peace of mind, if it was like jail cell mentality, I would love to have an end board. Before we let you go, we have one more match uh, for your DVD. So we have had so far uh, an ECW two out of three falls classic. We've had the Iron Man match that started the whole thing off. What is your third and final match, TJ? So the third match uh, is like very much separated generationally. It's, uh, Buddy Rogers uh, versus Pat O'Connor. They had a two out of three falls match, uh, I believe, for the NWA title. Yes, sir, Ree. We've been watching for this one. And here it is on Wrestling Champions, where you see the world's greatest wrestlers. We'd like to remind you, fans, too, if you're in Chicago, be sure to stop out at Marigold Arena for wrestling every Wednesday and Saturday. But right now, it's at Comiskey Park before better than 50,000 enthusiastic wild fans who have been waiting for this world championship match and it was in chicago a little bit further unique trivia i think there's a fall in the middle somewhere where pat o'connor takes one of the one of the one of the falls for himself and uh in celebration he jumps up and spins in a circle and what people don't know is off camera he spun in a circle and then threw up <laughs> what <laughs> Yeah, because, uh, I mean, you know, like wrestling was a lot more physically hard at that time, obviously. And and uh, I think just him being tired and kind of blown up and um, and uh, doing that. And it was, you know, it was like a middle falls, I think. So it's like you don't really see. And, you know, the, the production is not what it is today. So, yeah, he spins in a circle and then immediately throws up, I guess, over the side of the ring, like to the floor. <laughs> And then just continues with the match at when they restart the match. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's one of my favorite matches. I love the golden era of wrestling. I love gorgeous George and Rocco and, and, uh, Ricky star. Like I love all these guys. Um, I've watched so much of that. A lot of what you see in my wrestling now, like the headstand, head scissors, all these different things that I do. They're not new age things or things that have existed for only a few years. A lot of that stuff is like hundred year old lucha or like hundred year old like classic wrestling that is kind of by a bygone era. And I love that era of wrestling. So that's one of my picks for for that because it was kind of a you know, a beautiful time in wrestling and those were two guys that, that were so instrumental between the two generations. Um have you ever thrown up during a match? Um, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever successfully thrown up. There's been a couple of times where I felt like I was going to, or, um, or I think maybe I got so tired that maybe threw up a little in my mouth or something. I like, I'm sure it's come up. Cause like, I just can't think of a time when I actually 
spit anything out. <laughs> <laughs> I've been lucky with that. <laughs> That's reassuring. That's reassuring. Uh, with this particular match, obviously it's Buddy Rogers, it's Pat O'Connor. Uh, when can you remember how you discovered this match? Because obviously you're as as you say, like a historian of wrestling. But how did you how did you stumble across this particular match? Uh, well, I have like a huge uh, tape and DVD like uh, closet at home. I've had it like my whole life, and it's filled with obviously tapes, DVDs, a bunch of notebooks that I kept when I was younger, like wrestling notebooks, technique notebooks and things. I mean, like there's probably two or three of them in there. Every page, every line, front page and back, like just filled with notes and things that I've just watched so much tape over the years. And, uh, and I was just, uh, like adding stuff to, to my closet. And, uh, I have a lot of, like, I have a lot of European wrestling too. I have a lot of like 70s and 80s british wrestling and and like i mean 50 discs of like hours of footage and um and i just wanted more golden era stuff from like the united states like the like hollywood wrestling and like stuff like that and so i was looking for stuff on like gorgeous george and ricky star and guys like that and, and um and i met at the time i don't know i was maybe like 23 years old i i had known a lot about buddy rogers and just hadn't seen very much and Pat O'Connor and guys like that. So I just had added, I don't know, maybe like half a dozen tapes of, of footage from that era. And uh, I just came across that match and I just thought, man, this is, it felt different because the stakes were felt a little bit higher. The production was different. The event was bigger. I came to find out that it was like a famous match, but you know, obviously being young, you don't really realize the scope of it when you're just reviewing it. But later, as I learned more about it, I learned that it was like, you know, obviously a big deal for the time. I'm very envious of your collection. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Thank you. You mentioned you have like a selection of like of the world of sports stuff from the UK, and uh, yeah. I, what's always lovely when we when we do these these podcasts is the amount of wrestlers from the states, and we've had guys like Colt Cabana and Mike Quackenbush and Sugar Dunkerton on, and they all talk about their love for world of sport wrestling. Is it is similar with you? Are you are you uh, sort of have you drank in a lot more of the British style? Um, I was kind of raised on that style. So, so yes and no, like it's not something I had to discover because, um, it's something that I was kind of like always. And when I say raised, obviously I don't mean like, um, raised in like my household. I mean, raised like in, in a ring. Um, I was just raised to, to wrestle and work in that capacity. And so I was always like, it's always been kind of programmed into my wrestling DNA um, but you know, I really like it. I like it in concept because it's sort of the way that I view wrestling as a way to use sport to tell a story of drama, as opposed to using a stage to tell a story of drama that just happens to include a sport, which is, um, you know, I can do, but I view it the, the former. And I think that's exactly what world of sport really encompasses. Um, Sometimes I actually find myself being disengaged from the stuff that people people typically like. They love to see all the different techniques, but for me sometimes I just feel like it gets to be too much. Like it, it's it's sometimes it's like too much of a back and forth, too much like dancing. So um there's bits and pieces of it that I that I like to take that I study more so than the other aspects, but um but you know a lot of a lot of the great guys that I like, uh, like I, there's a match between John Cortez and um, Jim Brakes, and I think it must have been Cortez's more early years because he's a lot like he he looks a lot younger and slimmer at the time. But um, I could be wrong. I don't know. But um, 
that Cortez uh, yeah, and Breaks, like, you say? Yeah, it was Cortez and Breaks, and it's one of my favorite matches I've come across as far as world of sport goes. And and, um, and I just I like the pacing that certain guys have because it makes everything feel like a big contest, like a big game. And if it were like a sporting event, like a team sports event, you know, like. So there, there's there's certain guys that really pace it really well, and I, I kind of glean a lot off of storytelling from guys like that. Um, I think, uh, let's see, Clive Myers is another one that I really liked watching. I can highly recommend, um, if you've not drank in much of his stuff, uh, Les Kellett. Yeah, I've seen a lot. Because yeah. he, he's, he's very he's obviously a wrestler, but there's such a, a, a sort of stand-up comedy quality to him that he brings to it, and he just he stands out so much. Well, to the point that... You know, there's 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 at least one move that is that is an homage of him that we see in wrestling on a regular basis, which is the old uh, the old slingshot clothesline, which is a tribute to Les Kellett. And so it's nice that stuff <laughs> like that still exists to this day, and it's great that you drink so much of it in as well. And you can tell by the way that you perform that there's been so many influences in your style. Yeah, I mean, I, I try. Uh to incorporate everything that I, I see, you know, like I, my inspirations growing up, even for wrestling, like they're not total, they're sort of obscure. Like I'm a really big Charlie Chaplin person. Um, he's like a life inspiration for me. I mean, just as far as anytime I do anything, even when I was doing team sports, <laughs> which is weird. Like, uh, there's just certain things you can get off of, like off of that. And, um, and so like, with that, like I, I've always viewed it as vaudeville, like having the ability to kind of do a lot of stuff and perform as if it is a live stage. And so in, in order to do that, you want to have the biggest toolbox possible. Right. You know, so, you know, you take some of the golden era, you, you, you take some of the world of sport. And it's not just about different eras. It's about different landscapes too. Like, cause what worked in the seventies in the United States and New York might be different than Los Angeles, but it's also different than in London and in Mexico city. So it's like, I like getting lost in every generation, every continent as much as I can. And uh, if people are getting lost on Twitter, we'd like now to give you the floor to tell them where they can find you. Uh, so this is your bit where you can plug uh, social media, anything merch wise that you've got going on. Uh, this is all yours, TJ. Uh, well, let's see. I, I don't have, a whole lot of stuff to plug but if you're on social media you can find me on twitter and on instagram at mega tjp like mega man <clears throat> and uh that's pretty much it i mean i have a, a website uh detonationkick.com that has usually has my touring schedule but at the moment i guess nobody really has much of one <laughs> so uh there's that and then uh you know if and and i had a lot of my detonation kick like street streetwear and merchandise and stuff on there but now i've made it all available at pro wrestling tees so if anybody's looking for any of that stuff which had been backed up for a while you can find all my stuff at pro wrestling tees just like anybody else so <laughs> just to end on a on a non-wrestling note which I, and I'm, I'm intrigued by it ever since you said it um best chaplain film oh god um i mean probably the kid but uh I really there's a, there's a really good boxing one too that I I've, I've always wanted to recreate the bit with the referee, um, but uh, man I, I've I've also got a collection of Chaplin DVDs that's like my World of Sport one like fucking dozens of discs so 
but I, I'd probably say the kid. It's it, it was something that was near and dear to him, and you could kind of tell in the the creation of it that it was something that he felt really creatively um, into. So I think if we've learned anything, and and I and what I loved about this is that. Uh, you, you said it really early on in the interview, how like everybody always assumes you're younger than you are. And I think of all the things that we were expecting to have today, it wasn't a chat about Charlie Chaplin with TJ Perkins. And I love, <laughs> and I absolutely love that that is a thing that has happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't get, I don't much get a chance to talk about like, especially Charlie Chaplin. So I'm glad that, that, uh, you know, this has been an outlet for my interests. <laughs> Absolutely. And hey, look, we if we end up doing a Charlie Chaplin podcast, we'll have you on and we'll just, oh, we'll just please do. Yeah, thank you. It, I reckon. Oh, man, it will give me an excuse to go dive back in and, re- and watch them all again. Are you, so are you a Laurel and I would Hardy love fan as well, by any chance? Yes, yes. I mean, not as much as, as Chaplin, but like a lot of that's a Buster Keaton as well. Um, I, I love a lot of that. I mean, performers in that era were so multifaceted. They could dance, they could sing, they just. They, they could do so many different things because a lot of it was directly translated from the stage, you know, like they're, they were not used to having like, like film as a medium. So like a lot of them were prepared to, to work in different capacities. And that's why I've, it's become such a good inspiration for me for pro wrestling, just because, you know, it's still the last kind of living, breathing vaudeville type of live performance. So. Because you are in, in a vaudeville sense, in a vaudeville sense, you're, you're playing to the back of the building and and regardless of, of the, the TV and stuff that's around you. So the same way that, that Buster Keaton would be larger than life, he would because on stage you play to the back of the building and in wrestling it's exactly the same. And uh, and I'm just, I'm just sad that Wrestling Society X isn't around anymore because I feel as if we would have had a, a Charlie Chaplin-esque gimmick out of TJ Perkins on Wrestling Society X. Well, maybe if uh, Lucha Underground makes a comeback, it might be the amount of creative freedom for me oh. to create something like that. And actually, a bit of, a bit of uh, I guess, personal trivia. When I first came into WWE, I turned down the first offer, the first couple offers they gave me during the CWC. I didn't, I was in their contract until the pay-per-view after I had won the title because I really wanted to go do Lucha Underground for a couple of seasons that they had already asked me. And I was like, I want to do this. I want to go back to Japan and do this project. This show is really great. And I didn't, you know, obviously it's now not around anymore, but man, I really wanted to do it at the time. And I, I turned down WWE for a, a little bit oh, and I had to, Regal, Regal had to talk me into staying. And I, as I, you know, I, I obviously did for a few years, but um, but yeah, I really wanted to be on another show like a Wrestling Society X because it's just it's such a fun project to do when you're around that type of atmosphere. Oh, well, look, if if Matanza, if you're listening, DJ Perkins <laughs> needs to come and be Buster Keaton on your program. So if you can make that happen, <laughs> that'd be great. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic Wrestling News.